welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. I've never done this before. It's, all, it's always interesting because I never know when I'm going to get weepy. So if I do, just bear with me. Um, it often sneaks up on me, and when it usually gets me is in this service, not the next one, because if it gets me in this service, I'm ready for it in the next one, but uh, don't know how this is going to go. I, I started competing in track and field in the fifth grade, and um, each year in Santa Barbara, there's what's called the Easter Relays, which take place at City College down by the beach, and so they have all different ages competing, and I got to see for years some nationally ranked, even world-class athletes uh, compete. And in the sixth grade, one of my events at the Easter Relays was the 440 Relay. Now, it's a relay where each participant runs 110 yards. It was yards, not meters back then. And each team carries a baton. We have a baton picture for you. There it is. Great graphic, Ben Bransford. Um, Now, although each runner only goes 110 yards, the baton goes all the way around the track. However, there are numerous ways to be disqualified. If you don't stay in your lane, you're disqualified. You have only a specified section of track. I forget, I think it's about 15 yards where you have to make the baton exchange. You have to pass it. If you give it too soon or too late, you're disqualified. Now, our school's team of four sixth graders had been practicing. We were all set for the race against about six or seven other schools all at the same time, elementary schools. Uh, We were pretty good. We had a shot at first place. The gun went off. Bang. And Steve Koop, whom I have known since the second grade, sprinted toward me as I waited in the second spot. As Steve approaches, he gets about five yards from me, and I take off holding my hand behind me. I'm getting close to the line where I will be disqualified. Finally, Steve hands me the baton. I grab it, and I take off, and, I, and I'm pretty sure we're out in front. Ruff, ruff, ruff. Somebody's dog runs out on the track barking. <laughs> Never ever seen this happen before or after. But he doesn't chase one of the runners and nip at the runner's heels. He doesn't bite anyone. He joins the race. <laughs> Precisely in front of me. Now, have you ever had a dog you took on hikes and the dog kind of goes ahead and then it kind of stops and you have to slow down or you'll run into the dog? Anybody ever had a dog like that? And they just, it's like they go and they come back and they, they make you go in fits and starts. That's exactly what this dog was doing to me. It forced me to slow down. By the time I passed the baton to the next guy, we'd lost. It felt very unfair. There was no redo. I know you thought I was going to tell you a story about dropping the baton, didn't you? I competed in track and field and on relay teams for seven years. Rarely did I see someone get disqualified for stepping outside of their lane. Rarely did I see them um, get disqualified for passing the baton too soon or too late. But I saw dozens of races lost by people passing the baton poorly or actually dropping it. Now think about it. It's kind of strange when you're you're running a race, as you come up to the guy that you've got to give the baton to, you're actually going faster. And you might be tempted to think, well, I'm going faster than he is. I'll just keep going. I mean, you know, I'm going faster. I don't need to hand this off. But in a relay race among 
um, competitive people, you know, same age, same uh, class uh, in terms of their abilities. No athlete has the speed and endurance to beat a team of sprinters who pass the baton reasonably well. If any athlete were to refuse to pass the baton, his team would always lose. I have had the honor of being your pastor for 14 years. And now the time has come to pass the baton. But I don't pass the baton by myself. Together, we pass the baton to the person God has already chosen to be CPC's next senior pastor. So let's pass the baton well. Today we're going to consider how some people pass the baton in the Bible and what we can learn from them. We'll see some things we can each do to help this transition at CPC go well. And we'll also see some biblical principles for our own personal lives. Because, quite frankly, most of us struggle with change and transitions. Now, there are a number of narratives in the Bible, think about them, those of you who know the Bible pretty well, where a leader is saying goodbye or stepping down or giving some final instructions. And as I was thinking about them, thinking, well, you know, which ones would be good to use, I was struck by the fact that most of these leaders are not happy campers as they leave. They're either disappointed in the people they've been serving or their feelings are hurt or they're sure that people will ruin everything once they're gone. Think of Moses who I was going to use, but we didn't have time. I am not leaving disgruntled or unhappy or with hurt feelings. Now, most pastors have times when they feel that way, but that is not how I am feeling now. I want this to be super clear. God gave me this assignment to be your pastor. God has made it very clear to me that it is time to pass the baton. And although I love you and I will miss you, I'm happy to pass the baton. I just am filled with gratitude. I believe I will wake up tomorrow morning feeling relieved that a weight of responsibility has been removed. It was good and it was God's will for me to have that weight of responsibility for a time. I've learned a lot. God's used it to change my heart. God's used us together to do some pretty cool things. But this church, this team will not win its race unless the baton is passed to the next senior pastor. If a runner refuses to pass the baton well at the right time, the team loses the race. I've been meditating on Psalm 23 a lot in recent months. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Change is generally hard. I'm going through a big change. CPC is going through a big change. At times, you will go through big changes and transitions in your personal life. During the last four and a half months since I announced I'd be retiring, Jesus has been a wonderful shepherd in my life and heart. Just kind of bringing me through this process. Talking through Psalm 23 with him has been tremendously reassuring. But I bring that up because of you. Jesus is your shepherd. When you experience change, whether it's expected or not, memorize Psalm 23 and pray through it with the Lord every day. Maybe change in your career that you didn't expect or with your family or relationships or maybe your health or maybe your finances. Psalm 23 
one of the good things that was done with me when I was in Sunday school, Psalm 23 was the first chapter of scripture I ever memorized. And millions, literally millions of people have memorized Psalm 23 and found tremendous comfort whenever they're experiencing change. I highly recommend it. But Jesus is not only my great shepherd and your great shepherd, he's the great shepherd of this church. He's in charge of bringing you your next senior pastor. And I, I just want to say one more time, I, well, I'll say it in the next service too. Um, you have the best team I have ever seen working on this. People who have already been, had experience doing this finding pastors. Um, people who have worked at CPC and are intimately familiar with CPC. You even have a former senior pastor on the team. It's, I've never seen a team this well configured. They all love the Lord. They're praying every day for guidance. And they're also getting help from a search agency that has professionals that have a lot of experience in helping churches find excellent pastors that are a great fit. So I am very optimistic that God is going to use this wise process to lead you to someone wonderful. I will be praying for that to happen. And every week we want to remind you, please do your part and keep praying. Jesus is the shepherd of this church. He will provide. Okay, let's look at some leaders how they said goodbye in the Bible. And the first one, uh, it's, it, it, it's kind of an odd example, but give, stick with me, okay? Samuel. Samuel was a prophet and also a priest and a judge. He is one of the most highly regarded people in the Old Testament, just for his integrity and all that he did for Israel. But his sons were corrupt. And also, looking around at the other nations and looking at his sons who weren't cutting it, the leaders of Israel came to Samuel and they said, we want you to give us a king. And Samuel felt very rejected and his feelings were hurt. God has Samuel anoint Saul to be king, but in his pass the baton message, listen to what Samuel says, we'll put it on screen. Here I am, testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me and I will restore it to you. They said, you've not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. His feelings are hurt. He wants it on record. He didn't do anything wrong, unlike his corrupt sons. This is a familiar theme when leaders say goodbye in the Bible about hurt feelings and so forth. Okay, now here's the, here's the, here's the, the switch. In my case... It's exactly the opposite. My feelings are not hurt. And whereas he's going on record that he hasn't done anything wrong, I'm positive I've done wrong things. <laughs> now, over the years, I've asked some of you to forgive me for sinning or being unwise. However, I am sure that there are things that I've done wrong, but I haven't perceived them yet. If I, when I do perceive them, I'll ask whomever I've sinned against to forgive me, but, but that may happen a year from now. It might not happen until the day of judgment. What does God want us to do while we wait for someone to realize they have sinned against us? Maybe we've even confronted them and they don't realize it. Now, I need your cooperation in this next little exercise. I'm going to get you out of your comfort zone. I want to give you a tool from overseas. Could you save your marriage or an important relationship? I'm going to teach you a three-word phrase in Portuguese that is a common saying in Brazil. Please repeat after me. 
You ready? You guys are going to cooperate, right? Come on, it's my last sermon. Would you please cooperate, okay? <laughs> Disculpa? Disculpa. Qualquer? Qualquer. Coisa. Disculpa? Qualquer? Coisa. Try this at home later. Disculpa qualquer coisa. Oh, you guys are excellent language learners. Now, we thought it was strange in Brazil when people would come to our house for dinner or a party, and as they were leaving, they would say, Desculpa qualquer coisa. You see, loosely translated and interpreted, it means, if I did something wrong without perceiving it, please forgive me. That's actually kind of cool. Desculpa qualquer coisa. If I did something wrong without perceiving it, and I'm very certain I have at various times here, Please forgive me. The Apostle Paul writes, we'll put it on screen, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let me ask you a question. Does it make it easier to forgive someone if you can see that they're really just grieved by what they've done and they come to you and say, would you please forgive me? Does that make it easier? You bet it does. But has God only forgiven the sins that you have perceived and for which you've asked forgiveness? No, he's washed you white as snow and believe me, there's a ton of stuff that I don't perceive that I've done and that you don't perceive that you've done. See, in your relationship, especially marriage or with somebody very close to you, it is super important to learn to ask forgiveness well whenever you perceive that you've sinned against that person. But it is also important to forgive what others do not perceive that they've done, just as God has forgiven you. That's part of what this passage means. Now, why am I bringing this up in my parting sermon? You know, when I was putting this sermon together, there's a bunch of stuff that got left out, so that I really would have loved to say, but when I was, I was trying to think, what are the most important things for me to just kind of say for this transition? I'm saying this because when I arrived 14 years ago, this was one of the biggest problems at CPC. It quickly became obvious that although the previous senior pastor had left six and a half years earlier, many people had never forgiven him for whatever they felt that he had done wrong. And that bitterness caused problems for years. When we are bitter, it poisons our souls. It impacts how we treat others, how we make decisions, how we perceive the motives of others. Bitterness is unhealthy, and for our own good, we need to forgive whether or not someone asks our forgiveness. So, desculpa qualquer coisa. If you perceive something that I've done wrong, but I haven't perceived it yet, please forgive me. If you perceive something someone else is doing wrong in your life, someone close to you, forgive them. For your, we, we want your soul to be healthy, but we also want the soul of CPC to be healthy, that we can go forward with a new senior pastor just with a clean slate and excited and, and not, because, not troubled because we haven't forgiven something. And in your personal life, this is an important tool if you're going to just have healthy relationships. It's especially true when unwanted change is thrust upon you. What do we do when we lose our job or our health or some relationship important to us goes south? We tend to do what? Blame. We tend to blame others. 
Change is hard. We all struggle with this. But forgive instead of becoming bitter. Great passage to memorize. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Okay, now let's look at one of the times, there were several, that the Apostle Paul said goodbye. Now, Paul traveled around um, the Mediterranean starting churches, and a lot of them in what is present-day Turkey, and when he's coming through Turkey, and he God has shown him this is the last time he's going to see these people, he has the elders from the church in Ephesus come and meet with him, and he, and, and he says, he's never going to see them again, and he says, and now behold... I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. We have a familiar, hopefully by now, diagram for you. Over the years, I've tried to faithfully explain the Bible, from the perspective of someone who believes the Bible is reliable and that the way theology was organized coming out of the Reformation um, makes a lot of sense. I've tried to declare the whole counsel of God even when I was certain it would offend some of you and you would not like me. We all want to be liked. But it is important that we are faithful to our king and do and say what he has told us to do and say. Now, I've tried to teach you that there are some things that are essential, like who Jesus is and what he's done. There are other things that are important, like you know, how do you run a church or who do you baptize? But there are a lot of things that are peripheral. You know, how, what music are you going to have in church? What do you, how are you going to dress? Uh, and speculative things. There's, we need to be able to see the difference. And as I leave, I want to remind you of two things in relation to this. First is, every culture and every era will disagree with some truth that's in the Bible. It's clearly revealed. In the ancient world, they disagreed with Jesus being the only way. With the sexual norms of the Bible, they, everyone was used to, so used to slavery, it was just the way things were. They couldn't imagine running their civilization without it, and, and they abandoned unwanted babies to die. In general, our culture now disagrees with us about many of the same things. What the Bible clearly says about sexuality, abortion, greed, and the ability of humans to know the truth with certainty. One of my favorite quotes, one last time from Dallas Willard. There is knowledge of God and the spiritual nature of man, as well as other types of reality, for example, moral obligations, that are not reducible to the world dealt with by the so-called, quote, natural sciences, unquote. The idea that knowledge, and of course reality, is limited to that world is the single most destructive idea on the stage of life today. Dallas Willard. So as I leave, I charge you to stand firm in your biblical worldview. Stand firm lovingly and gently, but stand firm. Believing truths that society finds offensive is nothing new. And if you waffle so that people will like you, which is tempting for all of us, you will be unfaithful to future generations. And that brings me to my second point. 
There are literally thousands of churches in this country that have been in decline for over a decade because they have failed to sacrifice not essentials, not even important, but peripheral stuff to reach future generations. I'm sure that your new senior pastor will have some wonderful ways to lead you into reaching future generations, but it will involve change. So prepare your heart to sacrifice your preferences. Wonderful thing about this church is we can have both a traditional and a contemporary worship service, and it allows people to really feel you know, good in the way that they like to worship. But you will have to serve more. You will have to give more. Younger generations have not yet been trained to serve and to give generously. But if you will do this, I am convinced that you will experience the best years of ministry this church has ever had. Now let's look at a couple of concepts from Jesus' farewell to his disciples. At his last supper with his disciples, Jesus gave them what many have called the 11th commandment, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. By this all men will know you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Now, as I've said before, of all the churches I've known, you are a loving and welcoming church, much more so than all the ones I've known. Many of you experience deep, committed love in your small groups. Guys, it's okay to say that and even hug. So I encourage you not to wait until the transition is over to get into a small group if you're not in one yet. Do it now. And keep loving each other, forgiving each other, encouraging each other, and use your small groups for discipleship, for encouraging each other to grow and to develop healthy habits of prayer and serving and giving and be there for each other. Also, in addition to telling them to love one another, on the last night, Jesus prays the following. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may all be one. So the devil, would, the devil would love to get a foothold here by creating a divisive spirit and, and hurting your unity. Do not let bad-mouthing or disgruntlement spread. Graciously and lovingly shut it down by reminding each other, we're all sinners saved by grace. We don't even perceive all of our own sins. And we must forgive and avoid bad-mouthing. Trust God. He is powerful. He has a great plan for this church. Trust that God will work through your leaders. He's that powerful. This is a transition. Be patient. Pray for revival in this church, in this peninsula, in this country. And pray that God will lead this church to his choice for the next senior pastor. Many people disengage during these kinds of pastoral transitions. Don't be like many people. Do the opposite. Engage more. Serve. Give. Get in a small group. It was exactly 15 years ago that God surprised me and Janice by making it clear that our time in Brazil was over. I was in a dream ministry, and I had been anticipating doing that until I was 70. When I announced I would be leaving, some people were pretty concerned that if I left and turned the organization over to someone else, it would fail or fall or go into decline. 
and my Brazilian colleagues were even more puzzled and wondering if I had misread God's will when they saw that I ended up here. But God had it all under control. My career has never gone the way I imagined, and I am so glad. He gave our mission in Brazil to a fantastic new leader who led them into being more effective than ever and more effective than I, could, I would have been able to lead them into. He gave me the honor of being your pastor. And this has worked in my heart, transforming me in ways that wouldn't have happened in Brazil. I'm convinced. I will be grateful for all eternity. And I'm very confident that God has a fantastic new senior pastor for you. Would you join me in prayer? Holy Spirit, we pray that you would guide this church to its next senior pastor. Just guide especially the PNC, the wonderful people on that who love you and are praying. Lord, answer their prayers. Lord, we pray that you would maintain the unity in this church and that people would just have an extra portion of trust in their leaders. Lord, we pray that the spirit of love and welcoming that pervades this church would continue, and in addition, all perceived wrongs would be forgiven. We pray for protection from the evil one. We pray for revival, that you would pour your spirit out upon this church, this peninsula, this country, that we would have the privilege of seeing you work powerfully and bring hundreds of people into your kingdom through this church. We pray that you would bless CPC and that its best years will be in the future. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We come to the time in this service where we are going to honor, we are going to show some love towards um, Pastor Rick and Janice and Mark. Um, it is really thrilling to be here today and to think of all of the ways, Pastor Rick, that you have impacted this congregation and the lives of the people that are here. And um, it's great to see some of your family here, Philip and Forrest and John. Um, you know, you guys are the reason that Pastor Rick is leaving, so he can come and be close to your kids. You know. I don't know about those grandkids, but they, they, they're dragging them down to Southern California. Um, I, I, um, I'm going to ask the three of you, Mark and, and Rick and Janice, if you come forward and stand here. We have some gifts that we'd like to give to you. And I'm also going to ask first Duncan and Betsy, if you'd come. And, um, and also, Luke, as we give some gifts to you, and we'll start off with Duncan, who has um, a gift that is from all of us. Well, Rick and Janice, uh, we were deeply sad to learn that you were leaving us. And everybody in the congregation wanted to be able to express their love to you, their gratitude, and how much we're going to miss you. So we came up with the idea of giving everybody in the congregation a card that they could express their thoughts on, and that then we would put it together in a scrapbook. So far, so good. 
But then it dawned on us that nobody had any idea how to put a scrapbook together. <laughs> but God is good. <laughs> and he brought to mind my dear sister in Christ, Barbara Lewis. Barbara is so talented and loves the Lord, and she serves any time she can. So she has put all of these letters together for you. And it is our hope that in the future, when you reread in the years to come these love letters, that you will be encouraged and know that you were loved, you are loved, you are missed, and that our prayers go with you as you go into this new chapter of your life. And know that the work you have done here goes with all of us and with you into eternity. Mm. Now, Barbara, who is such a quiet Christian, <laughs> has agreed to say a few words that were in her heart as she prepared the scrapbook for you. Thank you, Rick. I just want to say thank you for preaching the word. That was always what was most important to me when I was looking for a church. And you have always done that. You stay close to the word. And I want to thank you and wish you well. We pray God's continued blessing, grace, and mercy on you and your beautiful family as you go into the future. And do come back to see us. Now I'm going to read them to you. <laughs> and now I'd like to introduce Betsy, who has a gift for Janice. Janice, you know how much this church loves you, and most especially the women of this church. You are our sister in Christ, and we have laughed with you, cried with you, rejoiced and prayed and studied the Bible, we have danced and shopped and eaten out and you danced? And we have watched you open sing an open mic and we have <laughs> joined our voices together in an orchestra of snoring and we have just loved every minute we've had with you. And your sisters here have wanted to get together and give a gift to you that we think is meaningful that will um, hopefully allow you to remember us as we will remember you. This is a charm bracelet from Pandora that has a multitude of charms on it, and each one represents something that we have enjoyed with you. There is the Bible, praying hands, um, shells for the walk on the beach. There is a family one, which we have loved your family right along with you, and we will miss you. And I, I must tell you that... Several of your girlfriends shamelessly conspired to convince Rick to leave you behind. <laughs> but I'll tell you, I'm happy to report he didn't think very long before saying, no way. So we love you. Please come back and visit. There are rooms available and love to share.
And now Lou. Marky Mark. <laughs> Marky Mark, Mark Duncan has had an illustrious career at this church as well, running around since, what, six, five, six? Seven. It's been a long time. And so he's grown up through the ranks here, and he's made quite the impact um, with everyone that's come in contact with him. And um, if you don't know Mark, he is just a sweet, gentle spirit who is willing to just jump in to anything and be a part of the team. And so we thought we would put together a book of just your memories of your time here, although I was only two years of them. Those were probably your best um, but, you know, pictures like this of just Mark. And so Bob Spencer and Amanda de la Vega Tovar put these, this together, and it turned out really nice. I'm the one who told them to do it, so I get some credit, right, Bob? Um, but it has some letters from Bob, myself, and Justin in there for you as well. And we just want you to know that we love you, that we're going to miss you, but we're also extremely excited for what God's going to do in and through you down in Southern California, and we're excited that, they, that he's already starting a community, community for you down there, and that you got your brothers and your family down there, too, to watch, watch your back. All right, Mark, we'll love you. We, we love you, and we miss you. And now I would like to invite the elders to come forward, past and present, and we're going to lay hands and pray for the Duncan family. Um, some of the elders will lead out. We've asked, um, first of all, Dick Nystrom and then Jackie Kinney and Siska and Mike Fletcher to, to pray. And then um, after, um, I will pray and then Luke will close. But um, if you would just like to raise your hands out as we pray for them as well, as we lay hands. <clears throat> Father God, I want to thank you so much for your faithfulness to the Duncan family. I want to thank you for the opportunity that we have to have them, um, that you've shared them with us for 14 years. I thank you for the legacy of this church. Just this building that we're in right now um, was completely redone to your honor and glory under Rick's leadership. We thank you that we um, are in a different denomination that believes in the authority of your word because of Rick's leadership. Yeah. Lord, I thank you so much that lives have been changed, that people have grown deeper into their faith with you under Rick's ministry. I pray that you will bless the Duncan family as they move on. This is a new beginning for them, a new chapter in their lives, as it is one in our church. And we pray for your hand of blessing on all of us. Whatever you have in, in store for them, we pray that you will just make it so abundantly clear to them the time that they have in a new place. So, Father, we thank you so much, and we pray for your continued blessing on their lives. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelprez.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.